Hello and welcome to On The Edge with Eddie, detangling our Black identities. I am your host, Eddie Etty. Hey, I am thrilled and overjoyed for you to be joining our journey to explore all the different shades of Black identity, have real conversations and discussions. All the time, like I said, our conversations, stories, and discussions are not meant to degrade, discourage, or prove a point. Exploring our Black identities, it's all about learning, empowering, giving people a voice to tell their stories, and at times be a voice for those individuals who don't feel comfortable telling their stories. Because, hey, I, I'm telling you, there are people out there who don't feel comfortable telling their stories because, you know, when they tell the stories, somebody find out and, you know, there's this whole drama that happens. We're not about drama, right? We're all about empowerment. We're all about making sure people are learning and just telling black stories and, you know, just, you know, just being the beautiful black people that we are talking about beautiful black people today, all the way from the West coast, we are about to detangle Vanita Lee Tatum. Hey, listen, Vanita is an amazing woman, a visual artist and entrepreneurship educator. I can't, I can't say the, that word for the life of me entrepreneurship educator, a positive force of nature. Vanita is passionate about empowering women of color and developing um, entrepreneurs of all kinds. For more than 10 years, I mean, I'm telling you, y'all, for over 10 years, she was involved in advancing banking initiatives for small businesses in the Bay Area. Um, today, she used that same skills to uh, our skills and her time um, to organize Oh, to help organizations create their own financial growth. A mother, a fierce and passionate Black businesswoman, Vanita Lee Tatum, welcome to On the Edge with Eddie. How are you doing? What's going on with the West Coast? What's going on, Eddie? You know, that was quite the introduction, let me say. <laughs> I love it. I really appreciate it. And um, I mean, you, you big ups to you. You've been doing amazing things, you know, um, you know, leaving the banking industry to like start your own gig. That that that's that must be scary. And at the same time, like super powerful for you. Right. First of all, why, why would why would you do that? I mean, do you just like you just like and you have some awesome art behind you right now. Um, fabulous art. Tell me about that. Why the transition? Why the art? Wow. You know, um, I, I have reached a plateau um, after spending, you know, like you said, over a decade in my career, um, doing my thing, um, growing and striving and thriving. And I just reached a point, um, I looked around and I just felt completely burned out and unfulfilled. And there was just something inside that just could not be um, satisfied, no matter what accolades, you know, I gained. And I love what I was doing in my career. I just had grown and I was in need of more. Um, I realized that through the exhaustion, um, I was actually suppressing a lot of trauma, things that had gone on um, throughout my life um, that had led me to a point um, of just feeling overwhelmed and overcome um, with 
grief, with fear, even depression, those yeah. types of things. And art became my my gateway for yeah. healing. That's how it all began. See, that's that's super powerful right there. Because again, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're scared to try new things, right? We're scared to actually try what makes us happy. Um, and it's very empowering to, you know, hear that, you know what, you got to a point that you're like, you know what, I've had enough of this corporate business stuff. Let me go ahead and do my thing and your thing you did. But, you know, your story is is in itself extremely powerful on how you grew up. Like you grew up in Oakland. Um, let's go all the way back, way back in uh, Oakland. What was it like growing up for you in Oakland? Again, a lot of, uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Vanita, Vanita it has a light skin, right? So beautiful black woman with a lighter skin. What was it like for, what was that experience like for you growing up? Right. In a place that's one of the most diverse places yeah, yep. in the world, in fact. And I did grow up in a predominantly black community um, in East Oakland, a neighborhood called Brookfield Village. And I had a happy uh, childhood, you know, thinking back, I was always cared for, surrounded by family, surrounded by love. I never thought about my skin color in that regard. In my family, there were so many diverse skin tones. Uh, my parents were brown. My brother was dark. I was light. And I was just the microcosm, you know, of the experience that we have as, yeah. as Black people. So it didn't occur to me that that was a potential thing that could become problematic um, or, or even give me a level of privilege in my experience. I was completely unaware of it yeah. until I actually got older um, and... It, it became clear that, okay, there's a history behind this and right. I needed to educate myself. But yeah, growing up, um, like I said, childhood memories were happy and up until a certain point. Um, I feel like life really got real for me when I was around eight years old, when my father died, he passed away. And it just really rocked us to the core. Um, and I ended up being raised by my mother as a single mother and my my older i have an older brother he was much older so he left the house when i was still in elementary school to go off uh, to college and i was home with my mom and um i felt like at that point um, after losing my father my eyes just became open you know to this vulnerability um, that we have and i saw my mother go through a lot of emotional struggles after his death. And um, there was a lot of pain in the home. I, I remember going through a period of tears. I, when I think back from the age of maybe 10, eight, nine, 10, 12, yeah. just being really distraught um, with my surroundings and having to still go out and face the world. Um, thinking back, I realized my mom was actually suffering, you know, from depression. She had struggles with um, alcohol abuse and things like that, <clears throat> prescriptions, yeah. things like that. And um, it impacted me because I was afraid that I was going to lose her. And I had always envisioned that um, my mother was going to die and I was afraid. So I, yeah. I started um, really nursing this experience of fear. <clears throat> in my well, life. Let me, let me ask you this question. Um, so during that whole period, being raised in the single uh, parent home, and then you again, you know, the pain and the struggles, um, you know, for you and your mom losing your father. Um, at that point, at that young age, through, through all that pain, 
um, I think your mother was so big on education, right? Um, and she wanted you to succeed. Um, or she wanted you, she would do anything for you to be successful, but it was hard for you in that environment. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what was so hard being in a Black neighborhood, trying to be successful in a single um, parent home? Yeah, well, yes, my mom, she was big on education. Um, she did not complete high school. She was very bright and intelligent, um, beautiful woman, really. And I really think that the experience of um, hardship that comes along with growing up in the, the I want to say the hood, the ghetto, the in poverty, and I don't know like what the proper terminology would be, but um, that impacted her and she wanted us to have options. She wanted us to have um, different types of experiences. And so she, she chose to expose us and to really push. And um, there was a lot of violence around, even though I just expressed that my childhood memories were those of love and care and they were, it was really a mixture of right. all these different experiences and these different things. I grew up in the time of like boys in the hood. I grew up in the nineties, yep, yep, right? Yep. And um, I recall being afraid for my brother when he would leave home. We used to hear gunshots and we used to hear um, um, helicopters and people we knew, not only just in our community, but also people in our family have been mm -hmm. um, shot, killed. Um, I had a cousin who was killed by an Oakland police officer when I was in high school that impacted us. And so to think about trying to be successful, um, it was a lot of distraction um, around. And I I didn't identify as an artist until I was an adult. So think looking back, I realized there was a girl and that was absorbing all of this. And there was this creative person that was inside that was really um, inhibited. And it wasn't until I was able to mature and find the courage to unleash those things and really embrace and, and face um, the past and the things we'd experienced and what I had gone through yeah. Um, to be able to come forth. So the struggles, again, I mean, I, I um, a lot of the stuff, again, I've, I've seen some of your art, um, absolutely amazing. Um, a, I'll put the link in the, uh, in the description of the podcast, vanitaleetatum.com. You guys have to check her out. Let's talk a little bit about that pain though, um, because again, so uh, a lot of times, as humans, especially as Black folks, we live with a lot of pain and it's hard for us to sort of discuss or talk about those pain um, because there's a fear of either somebody won't understand or someone can relate. Um, and what I'm learning, you know, more so frequently is, you know, a lot of the pain that I carry with me, when I, when I talk about it with other people, you know, there are other people who actually might have experienced the same level of pain or they, you know, they get empowerment from my pain because they're like, oh, you know what? I've, I've sort of been there before and I've struggled like that, but I've never sort of looked at it from how you looked at it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, the pain of, you know, you, your mother, right? So your mother was, you know, extremely, um, dedicated to your success, but it is, she has her own struggle and her pain was also your pain. 
um, there were times that I think you had mentioned that you you would come home and you were afraid that your mother won't be there. And the idea that a young age, you come home and your mother is not there, what would you do with yourself? Yes, you had an older brother, but it's just you, <laughs> right? Well, for sure. Yeah, I totally had that experience. Um, the first time that that became real for me when was when I, I was in maybe seventh grade, just walking home from school and saw the paramedics um, and people outside of our house and my mother. Um, it's hard to really get the de the full details of the story, but from what I understand, she had um, maybe tried to commit suicide or she overdosed on prescriptions and my brother had to break down the door to save her. And I just went into, oh my God, survival mode um, from that point on. And unfortunately I did have the experience later in life that I did come home one day and I found my mother. Um, she was dead at home. And um, wow. that was my greatest fear that that was gonna happen. And it did. And it was it was unexpected, but I, it was always a, a fear of mine that that was gonna come. And I had to process and, and get through that. I haven't talked about a lot of this, not even publicly, of course, but the art itself has given me the courage to start facing these things. And um, I see my mother as a beautiful spirit. Um, growing up, I used to just really be engulfed in the experience of um, trauma and pain. Um, but then I realized all that she had really gone through and come through, we're talking about detangling identities. She went through a lot of identity crisis. Um, my mother was biracial, but um, she didn't know that she was biracial until she was 16 when she needed to get her birth certificate to get um, her ID to get a job as a teenager and realized that her father um, was Mexican and she didn't know that. But she did have the experience of being ostracized, um, maybe even bullied or abused for being um different but not really understanding what that difference was and so yeah. she had a deep desire to, to know her father and the answers were never given to her and that was another layer or another blow that really impacted her in her life and she shared openly with me one of the reasons why i can talk so openly about these things is because she did right you know she talked openly with me she gave me all of her and um that helps me become un unafraid when i speak about these things it's not to paint my mother in a an unpositive light, but it's just her truth. Right. And she was a real woman. She was she was unafraid to be who she was. And she really translated that to us. And I learned how to persevere through challenges um, by watching her experience, because through all that pain, she was a very proud and strong um, woman, black woman. And she gave and gave to uplift us and the people in our family and community. And she was known for that. Mm -hmm. She was known for being able to love openly and freely. And so um, she cultivated a lot of those things in me. I have been able to go on and do things like um, rising to the heights that I mentioned in my career, travel the world, um, do all these amazing things that my mom um, had envisioned you know, yeah. for us. And so, um, like, but I just I reached a point in my own life where that burden had become too much to bear, and I had to start facing it and start unpacking it, mm -hmm. and um, figure out that there was more for me than just 
harboring all of this pain. Um, we can talk about daddy issues as, as well. I'll be like, <laughs> that's part of it. But yeah. I want to go back talking about being successful. Um, you ended up going to Chico, right? Um, before Chico, what was high school like for you with all the struggles and all the pain um, that you were going through? What was high school like for you before you went to Chico? So it was a roller coaster ride. Um, when I started high school, um, my very first year of high school, I wasn't uh, at all a great student. I wasn't even really going to school. I would go to school and then leave school and go hang out, you know, with my boyfriend or my friends, you know, whoever I was around at the time. And I really wasn't focused on my academics. Um, I had just started to internalize the negative things that were going on around me in my environment and started really participating in, in things that weren't really the essence of me. Right. Um, I was involved with people who were in the streets, um, selling drugs, um, just doing all, all kinds of things. And when I was about 15, um, the summer after my freshman year, my brother and his wife, they took me to San Francisco and I met Dr. Joe Marshall at the Omega Boys Club. Mm. And I um, got into that program and learned essentially a new philosophy for living, which is um, to be alive and free. And um, they supported me throughout high school. I went through their leadership program and their training program. And they um, essentially fight to save the lives of young people. Yeah. And I was, a, I was, fortunate and blessed um, to be connected and become part of that. So I would catch the BART from Oakland to San Francisco every Tuesday night and go to this program. And it took a lot of dedication for me, someone who wasn't even really in school. I was always a bright person, but I wasn't focused and I stopped believing in myself. And my by the time I was 14, 15, my self-value was just really low. You know, I really didn't love myself. I didn't even have a concept of that. And um, going going over to Alive and Free just really helped me to shift the way that I was seeing myself. And um, it started to impact the experience that I was having. I started to believe that there was more for me. And my mom was behind that. She wanted us to be connected. You know, um, she pushed, <laughs> she made sure I was there, and no excuses. And I started to improve. and. Um, I did start to make strides and excel in school and in leadership. I, I was a natural born leader and that quality started to be cultivated in me when I was in high school. I had teachers and counselors and people who really cared and made sure that we had access. I went to Castlemont High School. It's in East Oakland, known to be one of the worst high schools, probably not just in Oakland, but just period, you know. But yeah. there was a lot of amazing people at our school. And those are the untold stories that we don't um, get to hear about. You don't get to hear about people like me or like my my friends or my my other family members and people who are doing amazing things within our community yep. um, on that level. But there were there were so many amazing people around. And um, when I was a senior, I had an opportunity to get an internship at the Port of Oakland in the finance department, and I was working under the CFO. And that is when I knew I wanted to be an executive. I just felt it. I was like, this is my flow. And okay. I knew I learned that I love finance and I had a knack for money and for business. 
And from there, you know, I continued on my journey, but that was like the foundation of those things really being set for me early on. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, again, your story is really you know, a story, a story of um, uh, vision and um, awakening or, you know, the, there is the motivation and the influence from all of the people, including your mother. Um, let's talk a little bit about the rude awakening um, or in Chico State. The party school, um, again, you know, this, you know, you're going through life, all you, the hard, the struggles, um, but, and then, but yet there is so much love um, that you're receiving from, you know, both your mother and, you know, your community at the same time. Um, and you don't really know or understand the, 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 how deep the racial or how your skin color plays a role in your identity. And then you get to Chico State. You get a Chico State and it's like, you're just not Vanita anymore. You're like the light-skinned sister, <laughs> right? Let's talk about that rude awakening when you get to Chico yeah. State. What was Chico State, the party school for you, a black girl? What yeah. was that like for you? Oh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I loved, um, the fact that I chose to go to Chico and yeah, you're right. It's known for being a party school. I was and still am a party animal. I love to party. We partied in my family all the time. Love to have a good time. Yep. And Chico was the place to be for that for me. And when I got there, I experienced culture shock, um, given that I had grown up in a predominantly black community, went to a black a school with mostly black students and teachers. And I got to Chico and it was predominantly white. There was about 2% um, black students on the campus. Um, and I was actually um, nominated to become the leader of our black student union uh, when I was there. Mm. It was the Pan-African Union. And my racial identity and skin color really started to come to the forefront um, through that experience not just being a black student on campus, but even some of the dynamics um, amongst the other students. Um, there was the rude awakening for me came through a so-called friend, just like Malcolm X used to say, the so-called Negro. I now say so-called friends. I used to have friends or, and people around me. And I realized I was attracting a certain type of pe person right. or a certain type of people because I was not really fully in tune with myself in terms of loving myself. So the people around me didn't really love me. They hated on me all the time. And, and that was actually a reflection of what was going on within. I know that now, but um, a, a so-called friend told another so-called friend that they didn't want to go out with me because I was light-skinned and I was going to take all the niggas. And when I heard that, I was like, what? I was just blown away. Like, wow. I thought it was, I, I thought, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what, what, what? Okay, I, I thought maybe she was onto something true, but I thought maybe the truth was because I was cute, not because I was light-skinned. And I didn't know right. that being light-skinned wow. meant that for some people, for me. So I had to really unpack that. Um, I never confronted that person about it. I really didn't know what to say or what to do. Plus there's this philosophy that I learned from Alive and Free, and that is that what other people say about me is none of my business, right. but it still it, it rocked it rocked me to the core. And I realized, oh my gosh, is this how people feel about me? Um, maybe people that I love, people who are around me, do I have a certain level 
of attention and privilege because of my skin color? What about my personal struggles that I have about my body image or the insecurities I have about being the daughter of a father who was a married man and how that impacted my psychological, my psych, my psych, <laughs> my psychological stability and my self-worth, but I'm light-skinned. And that's what's most important mm-hmm. about me for some people. I just didn't, I didn't understand it, but it, it did come to the forefront and I had to start learning my history. Right. I learned about the paper bag test. I learned about the privilege um, that was given to people who had, who are biracial or have lighter skin as opposed to, um, above those with darker skin and i was heartbroken to say the least because i felt the division i have a desire to love and connect with others and to think that there could be something that could disconnect me um, from what my community it hurt and i started to think back and take inventory of the times in my life that i was called white girl light skin and maybe why some people just hated me and I never knew why. I don't know if it was because I was light skinned, but that experience made me wonder, oh my gosh. Wow. You know, and then how can I have a an authentic love connection with other black women who have a darker toned skin? Like those things hadn't really occurred to me um that it could be problematic. So yeah. I was hurt. Mm. Nice man. That's so <laughs> You know, friends, right? You think you know them. <laughs> and then they, they say something like that. So at this point in time, you know, um, well, first of all, let's go back to the uh, the, the brown paperback test. Um, again, there's a lot of listeners and we have listeners from, you know, uh, 10 different countries. Some people might not understand or know what the brown paperback test is. And so basically the brown paperback test is sort of a term um which is which is used in the African American history to describe the racially discriminatory practice within that community, really in the twenty in the twentieth century, right? So basically, what happens is an individual skin tone is compared to the color of a brown paperback, right? And so depending on you know where the 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 your skin tone compares to, as far as the brown paperback, that sort of determines or sort of, yeah, sort of determines what sort of privilege um, that you get, right? So again, you know, um, it's whether or not you get admitted to certain sorority of, for, sororities or fraternities, or um, you get admitted to certain, you know, caste or group of people. Um, that's what the brown paper back test is. Again, a lot of listeners, probably a lot of our white friends don't, might not know about that, but it's, it's real, it exists, right? Um, at this point in time, do you feel that you have really, you know, n- you have gotten to the point that you know who you are? Do you have you you know your identity or are you still struggling with your identity at this time? Because, again, until now, you just thought, you know what, you're Vernita, you're a cute party, you know, bubbly, passionate individual. But then, you know, it, 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 now it got brought up that, hey, you know, you, you are light skin and you're getting, you know, all the black dudes because of your light skin. How did that how did that affect you? Mm. Well, you know, I had to process it and make some decisions about what I was going to believe about myself. And while from their perspective, that was the truth. Um, I acknowledge 
um, the pain, you know, of this experience with the caste system in our history and have personally decided to still love myself, even though I, I do have light skin and also to love and embrace the diversity of the people around me, the people in the world and understand the experience that is different for each of us with that awareness. But there was no way that I could stop loving myself. Well, I've told you the self-love wasn't even really a concept when I was younger. Yeah. And so hearing something like that was a blow, but to overcome it, I had to really, <clears throat> just like overcoming anything, just really focus on um, seeing my true value and loving, loving me. What was what was your internal conflict like? Um, because you just, you know, again, at this point in time, you're just trying to figure things out and you finally got to the point that, you know what, I am going to love myself because, you know, I am who God made me to be, right? I, you, you are who you are. And regardless of what people think or say about you, you are who you are. There are times that we let what people, what people say affect us, right? Um, both emotionally, mentally. And the longer you let what people say affect you, you know, the longer it actually sort of damages um, your identities, right? It's very um, damaging for yeah. certain. Yeah. yeah it's so did you have any like um you know internal conflict or you know going through this whole process you know did you feel that like why <laughs> right why why is this world so messed up right well yeah that's where the that's where learning my history and educating myself really um was liberating uh, for me and so i took it as an opportunity to learn more learn more about myself my people where we came from, all we've been through, and how, what's um, the narrative, you know, around beauty and value, how that's impacted how we see ourselves today, yeah. and having to redefine myself, literally for myself, um, and be be good with that, but also with the understanding that people on this topic or others may or may not. Um, have the right perspective of me, but that's why I have to take control of the narrative and be willing and able to um, be transparent, be clear about who I am and also be strong. And so one way that um, this manifests for me, even in my life today is through my children. I have two daughters and they both have a different skin tone than me, just okay. which is very common in our community. My Both okay. of my, my girls have, um, darker skin tones yeah. and I think that they're absolutely beautiful and for them they may get a different experience when they go out I had my experience in my root awakening and they they're hearing that they're beautiful at home and they may get a different message so they have to have that um, foundation you know instilled in them so that they can rely on themselves to define themselves too so it's it's been <laughs> It's been an experience in terms of struggling with identity. I think that was just something, another element being thrown into the mix um, that I've had to come to terms with. I didn't realize that it made me question my blackness. Um, I hadn't really thought about it until then. And then from, from then on, and maybe even now, when I'm talking about certain things, I feel like I have that filter where it's like, I don't know if this person may really truly see me as a black person when I'm speaking, but I have to um, stand strong and embrace that part, that part of my identity 
and understanding that the way I see myself is truly the most important. And that's just kind of what I, what I roll with, but I wasn't always in that position. Did, did, so you had mentioned, you know, the relationship with your father earlier uh, and quote unquote daddy issues. Um, did the relationship that you had with your father um, at all play into um, your narrative and when you finally, you know, the, the self-awareness and you finally got to the point that or the age that you're like, you know what? screw everybody else you know i'm going to do my thing because this is who i am today did the what was the relationship with your father like mm. well um let's see so as i mentioned earlier my father he was a married man and when i was younger that was always known that was not a secret um and i, I love my father we had a good relationship he did not live with us but he was always around and because he had two families essentially and he was kind of like the disciplinary my mother will always threaten me by saying i'm gonna tell your daddy you know if i was acting out or whatever and so when he came around i it was either going to be i'm in trouble for something i've done or i'm having a good time because now i get to see my my daddy right and that was that and when he died we went to the funeral and that's when i re that's when it was became real to me what the situation um, have been because um, we were not sitting with the family and when they read his obituary my name was not included hmm. and I used to um, I held onto the obituary for many years and I used to reread it over and over and over and my name not being there that lack of acknowledgement it really impacted me and I feel like that was when I really started to start um, begin to suffer um, into like my adolescence with my self-value as a youth and um, when I became an artist, I was able to do a project to work out a lot of the pain, anger, fear, and pain and disappointment that was surrounding my experience and relationship with my father. Even though my mother and everyone that I ever knew only said good things about him, I was really actually angry about the situation, about being the outside child and start to see how that had impacted um, my perception of self. I talked about um, the attraction of the people that I was attracting into my life, so-called friends, even relate through relationships and things like that. Um, they were reflecting this big void that was inside, mm. um, this lack of self-worth. So when a friend would say something like that to me, that's not from a place of love. Right. It's just really not. And I was I had those types of people around me for so long. I felt that that was normal. And I had to start reevaluating my relationships when I started to heal and emerge and change. I lost a lot of people and it, it was hard because it, it, I was used to having people around me being very celebratory. And I had gone through an experience where I felt alone. Um, I went back up to Chico in 2016. Um, when I decided to walk away from my career in banking, that was my first attempt. It, was, it took some time for me to really disconnect because I was making a good living right. and I had spent time building myself up. I knew I wanted to do something more. Didn't really know what the more was, but I left the Bay Area, went back up to Chico. And I, my oldest daughter and I, I was a single mom at the time. 
and I was fortunate to be able to buy a home and I moved. And that's when I started to face myself. And that's when I realized what was really going on inside of me, all the turmoil. And I started painting and I started to let it pour out, you know, onto the canvas. And while I was there, I went through some traumatic experiences. I, um, it was five years ago now, I actually found myself in a position where I tried to take my own life. And I was just so exhausted and so tired. And the, the um, voice inside of me was saying it was going to get, it was, it was not going to get better. Things were going to continue. And I had to fight for my, myself. I had to give myself the proper messaging and really go through like a rewiring. And I changed, I changed my mentality. My consciousness started to heal. Um, I realized that all the fears and things had just come full circle. The, the struggles my mom would, had gone through, I was now going through, and I was perpetuating this generational cycle of hurt. And I decided that I wanted to heal. And when I was there, something that was really bizarre, I, I, I read a lot of business publications, and I used to love well, I still do love to read Fast Company, the magazine. I had a subscription. And when I was there, I would get the subscription and I would read about these stories about these amazing business people. And I, I said, okay, there's a path for me that's uncovered and I need to forge it and find my way from here. And um, actually a couple of years after that experience, I was featured in Fast Company and they did a story on people who left highly lucrative careers to find work with purpose. Yeah. And I realized how powerful my mind was and my ability to manifest the life I wanted to experience and create the the scene that I desired, how how much available that was to me and also through the art. Connecting all these things, I was able to transform first myself, inner self. That has taken a lot of work. It's continuous. But now is reflected in my world and what I see every day. Opportunities. I'm like a magnet now. Things have changed. Yeah. So, um, wow, wow, wow. Speechless. Again, I talk a lot, but like your story is, is just got me, you know, lots of words. Um, you know, listen to you. I am pretty sure Nelson Mandela was, um, thinking about someone like you when he said um, he he said he had learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Mm. Uh, and the brave man or woman um, is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Right. And so, you know, for you, you know, listening to your story, you know, I'm just going back to that quote. I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of things that you were probably afraid of, right? Leaving, you know, the, the corporate world and starting on your own and being a single mother. But, you know, you found that inspiration to conquer the fear and that, you know, transcends into all of the, you know, the, the things that you do now, right? Um, and it's, it's really, at least for me, and I'm sure for a lot of other people, it's very inspi- inspirational um, 
and I'm sure your clients that you work with now and all of the, the women of color that you're in, inspiring, all the people who are going to hear the story, you know, this is a story of success, right? A story of strength and perseverance. And, you know, it's a story of, you know, you finding your new self and believing in that new self and then mm -hmm. using that new self to, to heal the world, right? And yes. healing the world you did. But I'm, I'm pretty sure when you decided to leave um, the corporate America and go back and, you know, explore your art and go on your own, I'm pretty sure, you know, there were times that you felt really alone. You probably lost some friends um, and people probably thought you were crazy, right? What yeah. was that experience like leaving and, you know, the and the friends that you probably lost and the people who told you you're you're just being dumb? Well, right. sure. <laughs> that literally totally happened. Um, when I started going through my personal growth transition, the friends that I had around me started feeling really uncomfortable because I was changing. And I think I just was no longer willing to accommodate their insecurities about me. Um, I was no longer willing to condense myself and to fit into what other people needed me to be. I was, I was designed to be bigger. I was. And I was tired of crouching down. I was tired of minimizing myself. And the relationships that required me to be like that had to fall away. And I had to let them go. And um, that was really hard. Um, but through that experience, becoming the new self, new possibilities became available to me. Yeah. Love became available to me. I actually got married. Um, during this period, really, truly to my twin flame soulmate, the yeah. one, whatever you can think of to describe this legendary experience of love that came through the emergence of my new self. And really, when I was going through the lowest point, it was my um, husband who was right by my side. Silently, people couldn't really see the right. level of impact that a supportive love in my life has given me. And I actually embraced this idea that I was going to be just a single black woman with a degree or two, mm. and no husband, yeah. or hadn't been, um, had the experience of healthy relationships, um, love that could last. Because really, again, I was attracting people who were reflecting what was going on inside. So when the right. self started to heal, I attracted a great person that I have a deep, spiritual, and potent, powerful connection with that we now work together to manifest. And we do it well, and yeah. I'm really grateful. So um, yeah, this, this new self, the loneliness that I experienced was temporary. Um, and I'm glad that I kept going because I knew. I'm glad you kept I, going too. <laughs> because I, I mean, I, this is. This, I'm glad you kept going too. I mean, this, you know, this is powerful. I it mean, was symbolic. <laughs> yeah, like that old life had to was over. That old self had to to die. I had to let yeah. that person go to emerge as a, a more um, stronger and empowered um, being and embracing all of 
all of me, my skin color, how I think, my abilities, how I feel, mm. what I what I do, just all of that and seeing this true value in that sense across the board um, and deciding to lead my life with love instead of fear because yeah. I have been in fear for so long. I didn't know how afraid I was. I was afraid of everything and the fear had me really under control. So I've had to break past it and I'm, I'm feeling the results. That's great. That's great. Hey, you know what? MLK says the ultimate measure of a man or a woman is not where he stands in moment of comfort or con convenience, mm -hmm. but it's where he or she stands at a moment of challenge and controversy. I mean, you've had a lot of challenges in your life. You've had a lot of, you know, stuff happen, but you know what? Like you said, I am, you know, super blessed um, you know, to talk to you about this and just, you know, um, the, the amount of strength that you are going, your story is going to give to a lot of women listening, um, you know, and even you reflecting on that, um, you know, and finding the strength to continue, um, you know, what you started, you know, many, many years ago. And, you know, again, now raising your daughters um, to a bright and beautiful future, um, I, it's, you know what, it's, again, the only word I can think of is just <laughs> powerful, right? I'm, I am in awe of your story and it's just absolutely moving to listen to, you know, again, going through the things that you went through, you know, um, you know, loss of a father, um, you know, a mother, you know, and the struggles of, you know, a black woman and just now, you know, being a businesswoman and healing other people at the same time, you know, if that's not the black story, then I don't know what is because that that is just mm, amazing. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, your art, um, because, again, you know, people listening and your business, um, you know, your clientele, your art right? What goes into the art? Again, I've seen some of it. It's absolutely amazing, you know, and it's visual art. What goes into it? Like when you, when you're about to do a piece, right? What goes through your head when you start with that piece? And then when you finish, when do you tell yourself, you know what, this is done? Because it looks like, you know, a lot of your art is just like an infinite, an infinite, like, brushes or color or you know just the vibrant you know um texture right it's it, it looks like it, you can never stop with a piece wow. so what goes through your head when you start with an art or we start with the piece right and then when do you tell yourself you know what this is finished yes oh that's a great question um because the way that i started i just felt like this urge one day um mm -hmm. And I'd actually seen a YouTube video of women who were um, doing visual arts painting and they were processing emotion and they were crying and like letting out this emotion while they were working. And I that resonated with me for some reason. I just went out one day, got some supplies and was in at home just doing the work. And so for me, my process begins with just the desire to create I, I typically don't have like a vision or an agenda because in this space, I need complete freedom, flexibility, and I need to be able to um, improvise, fuck up, make mistakes. Like it can't, it don't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be beautiful, but many times it does turn out beautiful 
when I'm finished. And the, the way that happens is by me just completely letting go, yeah. making a mess. I use a lot of recycled materials, um, recycled boards and frames, just things I find. The, the pieces and the materials I need, they always come to me. And I, I like to do that because even if you don't have like a lot of money or resources to create, you can use and find, you can use anything you find to, to make art. Um, no matter where you are in the space. So the feeling that goes in for me is like, if I'm going through something or if something's bothering me, even if it's something from the past, I might bring that to the forefront by acknowledging it, Yeah. you know, giving it a name, not even coming up with a solution for it, but just knowing that's nagging me on the back end. I need to let this come forth. Yeah. And then um, I love to play with color. I like the, to make these scratching sounds on the boards with my my uh, paintbrush. I, I usually let my paintbrushes dry out. And when I paint with them, they make the scratching sound, which is very satisfying for me for some weird reason. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, but I just let it all go. Um, I always feel relieved and better. And it's kind of childlike, the work. It's um, very um, expressionist style. Um, I used, I've been getting into more into mixed media and lately just been trying to develop a voice in my work and what's coming forth uh, most recently is um, female empowerment. Um, I'm looking here, I can show you this little mixed media piece I did because yeah. um, Frida Kahlo, her spirit has actually um, resonated with me early on um, when I started to explore my artistry so I I invite you know like her creative her creative um, essence um, as well as other um, powerful Black women imagery has started to appear in my work. Um, I recently did a, a series called Pussy Power, which was really high, <laughs> highlighting the women of the Black Power movement. Yeah. And um, speaking of light skin, one of my deepest heroes is Angela Davis. Yeah. who is a complete freedom fighter and a full-fledged Black woman who happens to have a light skin. And I've always seen her and connected with her spirit and her voice and her courage mm. um, as well. And so I've been really channeling um, empowerment um, through my work um, and healing of the feminine um, and that experience um, as a Black woman having that experience. And um, I just let it unfold for me. I've, I've been so caught, well, I won't say caught up, but just focused on doing things the right way, um, breaking out of the prison of perfection. You know, that's been like my goal and in my work, I can do that. I really like to talk about it and I use it now as a platform to share my story to empower others, but I'm not doing it for others to say, oh, like to approve of it. Right. I really don't care because I actually approve of it. And that's great for me. But it happens that it touches and helps me connect with other people. And that's when I knew I was onto something. When people started to say, oh, that's interesting. And then it, it yields this conversation. And I'm, I do workshops um, to help others go through this journey of healing um, and the canvas being a place, um, a medium, you know for that trans transformation to start happening. Oh, man, man, we are detangling 
Vanita Lee Tatum. Listen, a phenomenal woman. Um, Marilyn, uh, Madeline Albright said it best. It took me a long time to develop a voice. And now that I have it, I am not going to be silent. That's exactly what Vanita is doing. Listen, she found her voice and she is not going to shut up. We do not want her to shut up because she is about to blow up. You need to go check out VanitaLeeTatum.com, y'all. It's amazing, an amazing woman. Listen, thank you so much for spending the time. Again, truly inspired by your story. You're a phenomenal woman. You keep doing what you're doing. Your art is beautiful. Your heart is beautiful. Your mind is beautiful. Um, before I let you go, though, I am going to give you one minute to send a message out to the world. What do you want the world to hear from Vanita this afternoon? Please. Your story is amazing enough. Any word coming out of your mouth is just going to like get me all on the floor and like all up in emotional and tears and stuff like that. Inspire us again. What do you want to tell the world in one minute? I'm going to give you some music while you do that. (laughs) Yes. Um, So first and foremost, I am a black woman and my message, um, I'm, I'm reiterating something that I've seen and heard time and time again, and just urging and encouraging people to see Black women, to heal Black women, to love Black women, support Black women, uplift Black women, celebrate Black women, revere Black women, worship Black women, and See how that experience will edify you and change the world. Man, see Black women, love Black women. Black women are the future, truly, truly. Um, You heard it from Lanita. Again, an inspirational, phenomenal lady. Thank you so much for coming through. And I mean, I... I am I'm speechless. You're 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 an amazing human being. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I hope to have you and your boo uh, back again when we're talking about black love because I can't wait wow. to hear the story of when you guys met. You oh, know, yeah. Season two, season two is coming up, right? So season two is all about black love. People don't understand what black love is like. We have deep love for our our partners, right? We have yeah. deep love for our uh, significant others and you know we just want to love on them and you know i clearly see that you found that and you know what i'm i'm truly happy for you um you know and for your girls so hey it was a pleasure talking to you thank you so much for coming through and hey for us to do this again it's a wrap you're the best